What's up, Light City, and welcome to church. Whether you're at home or at work or at a friend's house, I wanted to take a minute to say thank you to each of you for watching and for spending a few minutes with us. Wherever you are and whatever situation you find yourself in, I'm confident that God is with you, and he wants to use this message today to speak identity and purpose and destiny to you for the amazing life that he has set out for you. If you're a guest or you're new to our channel, it's absolutely no accident that you're here. Uh, and if you'll give us a little bit of your time this morning, I know you'll leave empowered and encouraged. Well, I want to jump in this morning, but before I do, make sure that you know the drill. You like, subscribe to our channel, turn on that notification bell so that you're notified every time we go live or we post new content. Also, if you haven't had a chance to give and you want to partner with us to continue to preach the gospel to our community and to the world around us, there are links right below me in the description box. Or if you're on the website, if you just scroll down the page a little bit, you'll be able to see a spot down there to give. Well, I hope that you enjoyed last week's message uh, and our whole series as we've just launched it for this month, which is Till the Whole World Sees Jesus. Love that title. Uh, we are, we're spending the month and we're talking about Jesus. And at first thought, you might think it's a simple topic, but I'll tell you, the more that I learn about Jesus, the more that I'm forced to reconcile the actions of Jesus, the more that I realize that this is a super complex guy. And with that, I want to get started with week two of our series. And the title for today's message is Jesus Has Dirty Hands. Now, before you go and turn off the stream, I'm going to spend the next 35 minutes qualifying this statement as we begin to discover who Jesus really was on the earth. And for many of you, like myself, I'm praying that we're changed when we see him. So let's get started. This morning we're going to start in John chapter 8 and verse 1. And let's read. Let's read this together. And it says in verse 1 of John chapter 8 that Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him and sat down to talk to him. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. When they had set her in the midst, they said, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. And what do you say? Jesus, what do you say? And they said this, of course, testing him that they might have something to which to accuse him. And so would you do me a favor this morning? Would you underline that word accuse in your Bible? And that's going to be an important word for us to consider, the word accuse. They wanted to accuse Jesus. So they're bringing this woman because there's no doubt, as we can see, that they're accusing her. But they want to find room in this situation to accuse Jesus, to charge him with the defense against the law of God. But Jesus stooped down, verse 6, and wrote, in the ground, uh, wrote on the ground with his finger as though he didn't hear him. So at this point, Jesus is officially ignoring him. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, so powerful, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, back to ignoring 
he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even the last. And when Jesus was left alone and the woman was standing in his midst, Jesus had, has raised himself up and saw no one but the woman. And he said to her, said to the woman, and listen to this, this is such an amazing question that we're going to focus on today. Man, Jesus is just so good. He says to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, and listen to what she says, no one, Lord. So now she's exercising faith. She's expressing faith towards Jesus. And notice that she called Jesus Lord, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, and no doubt with a smile, neither do I charge you with offense. Go and sin no more. And verse 12 says this, Jesus spoke to them, those around watching this whole story unfold, and he said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And I want to say, come on this morning, if you have the light of life, wherever you are in your rooms, shout amen, and we're going to do this. Actually, one more scripture that I have for you today before we get started. First uh, John, uh, in the second chapter, First John chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. And I wanted to read these two scripture verses, and then, then and only then, we're going to get this party started. So First John chapter 2 says this, My little children, John writes, These things I write to you so that you may not sin. And so let's establish something before we read on. John has revealed to us the purpose, the, the reason for which he has written this letter. John is writing this letter to help those reading to stop sinning. And I mean, let me ask you this. How many of you think sin is bad, right? If you find yourself on the stream today, let me just give you the answer. Sin is bad. And the biblical definition of sin is, of course, to miss the bark. Now, the mark is not set by your mama. The mark is set by God, and God delineates and differentiates between what is right and wrong. And God determines what is indeed right and what is indeed wrong. And the Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all of us have fallen short of God's standard. We've not lived up to his mark, that we have all failed, that we have all done wrong, we have all done bad, that we have indeed all sinned. You know, sin is the source of disease. Sin is the source of all kinds of calamity. Sin, sin is the source of the radical and horrible injustices happening right now on this planet. And how many of you would agree today across the city, uh, you know, in our two countries, that we need to sin less, right? I mean, you don't have to be a follower of Jesus today to put two and two together and recognize if people would stop doing bad things, we'd just be better off, right? And I would ask, but I'm sure all of you would agree with that today. And, and now John says the reason he's writing this letter is to help you stop doing bad things. Now, I think this is worth reading here. I mean, he's saying, look at this. What he's about to say after what he's just said is, is going to give us the ability and the power to stop sinning. And this is 
I mean, this is some good stuff. And, and I'm curious about what he's going to say next. And he said, look, this is the reason I'm writing. This is so that you may not sin, you know, so you'll stop sinning. And so let's read on. And he says, if anyone sins, he says, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And, you know, it's, it's not really what I was expecting you to say. You know, I thought that you got people to stop sinning by telling them the consequences of their actions, right? I thought the reason that you got people to stop sinning or the way that you got them to stop sinning was to tell them that they're going to go to hell, you know? And I'll tell you, I've tried it and I can tell you that it doesn't really work. And, and notice that John says, this is what will stop you from sinning right? This is the thing that's going to keep you from doing wrong. And, and recognize that even if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And verse 2 goes on to say, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. So, so not just for us, Light City Church only, but for the whole in our area, Southern Ontario and Western New York. And, and this is what will give you the desire, the passion, the, the fortitude to stop sinning. Now, the reason Jesus is our advocate or the basis for him being our advocate is, of course, this word propitiation, which is a, you know, a complex and sophisticated theological term, which simply means he took your place. And, and it means he took your punishment. He paid the price. What it means is, is, is you did wrong, right? You sinned, and that's established in Romans 3.23. And, and like I said, everybody in this room, everybody in your room, everybody who's watching, everybody throughout all of human history who will ever hear this sermon, it's true. You are a transgressor. You've sinned that we've done wrong. And, and if you're here today or you're watching online and you say, well, you know, I never did wrong. Yeah, you did. You lied. You know, gotcha. So here's the thing. We've all sinned. And and the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. So in other words, to pay the price for the wrong that you've done, you need to die. Now, the only other way that we could solve the sin problem is if we could locate some person, and it has to be a person, if we can locate a person who didn't have any sin so that they could pay the price on behalf of somebody else's sin. And that is, in fact, indeed, completely and entirely who Jesus is. Because Jesus had no sin, so he could die for yours and my sin. So now Jesus took your place, and you took his place. He took your death and your punishment so that you can take his acceptance and his righteousness, and this is called propitiation. And so now when the father looks at someone who believes in Jesus, and he indeed took your place, and he took your punishment, when you put your faith in Jesus, and the father looks at you rightly and says, that is sin, the son steps in and says, yeah, but I got it covered. And you are indeed declared righteous. So Jesus pleads our case on behalf that he paid your price. And the Bible says that's what will empower you to stop sinning. 
when you realize that he pleads your case because he paid your price. That's what will keep you from sinning. You know, not someone looking at you and saying, you know, look what you've done and look at the mess that you've made and now you're going to go to hell. That's not what keeps people from sinning. In fact, that's actually the thing that keeps people from church. And, you know, it's the good news about Jesus and his saving power that sets people free from sin. You know, can I get an amen from your kitchen table this morning? Because that's some good news. And, and now I want to speak to you. And I know that I was already a really good sermon right there all by itself. Uh, but that was just my opening statements. And I'd like to speak to you today from the text that we read to start the service and, and mainly focusing on the one phrase that we talked about, where are your accusers? And I want you to turn to somebody in the room with you for a moment, you know, and if you're alone, you could just maybe grab a mirror or run into your bathroom and look at yourself in the mirror and say, where, right? Where, where, where are your accusers? Oh, and by the way, if the person that you're looking at was your spouse and they look back at you just like, you know, just go ahead and, you know, look straight ahead and just plead the blood of Jesus and, and we'll be good. You know, so the title or, or what we're going to talk about today, where are your accusers? And so let's just pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We ask this morning right now that you would open up our eyes to see wondrous things in your word. Holy Spirit, I'm asking this morning that you'd show us Jesus. Show us the beauty and the majesty because we know that when we see Jesus, when we experience him, when, we, when he comes alive to us, we'll never be the same again. In Jesus' name, amen. It's crazy. It's been 13 weeks. Today actually marks the 13th, and I'm so excited to say final, can I say that again, final week of our self-isolation lifestyle. Phase two has begun, and we've been given the green light to start the process of coming back to church, right? We can, let me get an applause there, right? And right now, actually, probably at this very moment, we have teams all over the place working 24-7 to get the building put back together for next week's service, right? And I'm going to warn you, before you come, we've done some pretty drastic renovations. So when you get in the building, don't be confused. You're in the right place, right? And, and, and now, while this last 13 weeks has been hard, uh, you know, it's been hard for the McDonald family, you know, Danielle, Lola, myself, we are super active people. However, I recently heard what teachers have been doing for their classes uh, so that the students don't fall behind. And, and truthfully, they really are the heroes, right? And, and I realized when I'm hearing about the different stuff that how different school is now, right? I mean, it would be different for me if I was in high school today. You know, I went to a small Christian high school and, you know, crisis for me at this time of life was, you know, if I went into the cafeteria and they had run out of pizza logs before I had an opportunity to get there, right? And, and now school normally started for me at this time at about 8.30 a.m., um, but my parents started school earlier, right? It was actually that in the drive to school, they would quiz us. And, and what they would do is they would make us recall from memory scripture verses and confessions every morning on the drive to school. And of course, my sister Jess 
had every single one of these things memorized. I think she even threw a couple in for herself for fun, uh, and she would recite them with ease. But me, on the other hand, you know, I'm pretty sure that we said the exact same thing every morning for the four years of my high school, and still by the end of high school, I couldn't get them right. And, and because of this, I've adopted a new way of dealing with my daughter in preparation for the one day years from now that she goes to school. And, and now when we're talking or we're doing stuff, you know, I ask her one question. I say, Lola, we're McDonald's. What does that mean? Now, obviously, mind you, she's only one. And so I kind of do like a self call and response. Uh, but the right answer or the answer that one day I'm hoping she recites back to me is we're kind and encouraging and we look for lonely people. Because I'm wanting her to understand what matters to us, what it means to be a McDonald's. That way, uh, it's normal when I ask her, you know, hey, did you look for a lonely person today? You know, what did you say? Did you encourage him? You know, did you make fun of anybody today, sweetie? You know, we don't do that. We're McDonald's. And, and, and I, I want to use that same question on our church today. And here's my question. Where light, or where light city, what does that mean? I'm hoping that you caught it. We're kind, encouraging, and we look for lonely people, right? We're kind, we're encouraging, and we look for lonely people. In fact, let me ask a better question, right? We're Christians, what does that mean? We're kind, we're encouraging, and we look for lonely people. I mean, it's pretty simple. My one-year-old is actually already starting to figure this out, but what if Christians really started to live that way? Right? What if the whole church was kind, encouraging, and looked for lonely people, right? Do you know there's lonely people sitting right now in your house, right? When you come back to church next week, there will be lonely people sitting in your row, right? There's lonely people everywhere, and, and we need to be kind, encouraging, and look for lonely people. I believe that is the attitude, the, the heart, and the spirit of our King Jesus. And, and Jesus is asked a very probing and provocative question to this adulterous woman, right? This, you know, desperate housewife. And, and Jesus asks her, he says, where are those accusers of yours? You know, I've read John chapter 8, and, and really I've preached on John chapter 8 so many times. I mean, John chapter 8, you know, the first portion at least of John chapter 8, it's basically like candy for a preacher. I mean, it's, it's like the easiest passage. If you can't preach from John chapter 8, you know, there's probably a good chance that you can't preach at all. I mean, it's just this classic story. It's, it's beautiful and it's wonderful. And so I've read it a lot of times. But in preparation for this month about Jesus, I was, I was reading it and, 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 and the Holy Spirit, he just, he took me and, and I read that question again that Jesus asked, where are your accusers? And I clearly heard this from the Holy Spirit, not in this church. And then after that, I started to declare, I said, that's right, right? Right, where? Fort Erie, where, Buffalo? Where are your accusers? Not in Light City. You won't find them in Light City. And I want to make a declaration of faith today to every home streaming this service. The accusers are not in this church. We are not a church of accusers. We are a church full of advocates. I mean, come on, Fort Erie, where are your accusers? Not in Light City. Buffalo, where are your accusers? Not in Light City. Not in Light City. You know, I mean, if we're honest, though, 
It's pretty easy to let the attitude of an accuser wiggle its way into your life. I mean, in fact, I think that it's pretty average. I think it's pretty normal to be an accuser. I mean, I've seen it in my own life. I, I mean, am I the only person that has ever listened to a sermon and immediately applied it to somebody else? I mean, it's like as soon as I'm listening and I'm like, oh, I will FedEx this one overnight, right? And I will couple it with a letter that reads, God bless you, brother. You know, this heartfelt message. And I felt that this message would minister to you. God bless you, you know, signed, praying for you, right? And the Alex translation is basically just, you know, bro, you're a wreck. And, and this is a last ditch effort to save your relationship with Jesus, Good luck, sucker, Alex. Right? Am I the only one? Am I the only one that has felt incredibly encouraged by other people's faults? I mean, here is this person just wrecking their life, and I'm feeling great. Right? I mean, inside my mind, I'm going like, thank you, God. I'm not like that freak, right? I'm not like that guy. I mean, out to lunch. I mean, so checked out. I mean, thank you, Lord. But see how easily it, right? And before you know it, you got rocks in your pockets and you got rocks in your hands. The attitude of an accuser. But you know, it doesn't come in such spiritual terminology. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we get together in the name of prayer, but our pockets are full of rocks. You know, it's like, oh, sister, did you hear about sister so-and-so? Oh, sister, we need to pray. Lord Jesus, we need to pray for her. And there's no praying on, and you're just saying that you need to go and pray, right? And look, we need to pray, you know, because her husband, you know what he did was, you know, she, you know, she kind of pushed him away because she wouldn't even give him anything he needs, you know what I'm saying? But we need to pray, you know, because what the Lord has done with our marriages is really that our marriage our examples of the whole church, but we need to pray that her marriage is saved. And before you know it, you got rocks in your pockets and rocks in your hands. And, and you know, we need to pray and, and go ahead then and pray, but nobody's praying. We're just gossiping. We're just pointing fingers. We're just throwing rocks. And the truth is, it's not hard, right? Don't be fooled. Being an accuser, right, is not like, oh my word, can you believe that person is an accuser, right? Like you have to go out of your way to be an accuser, but it's not, it's normal. Because I mean, nobody accuses anyone like, you know, in this, you know, magnanimous, magnanimous kind of awkward way, you know, I charge you with an offense against God Almighty and all that is righteous and holy and theological and biblical, and you are wrong and you are off, thus saith the Lord. Right? Nobody does that. You know, I mean, aside from a few people on the sides of streets, but you know, most people don't do that. So it's easy for us to go, you know, I'm not, me, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not an accuser, but it's in our attitude, it's in our spirit. And you know, what's interesting about John chapter eight is, is these scribes and Pharisees, right? They're right on. Their quotations of the law, they're perfect. And this woman actually, according to the law of Moses, should be executed. You know, they're right. And that's weird, isn't it? 
that they're so right and yet they're so wrong. You ever been a Christian like that? <laughs> Let me ask you the better question. Have you ever been a Christian like that? Right? That you are so right. And I just think that it's so wrong. And, and according to scriptures and the teaching of Jesus, and that is wrong, and that is sin, and that is, and you're so right. But you're so wrong. Right? Oh, like you're right in the letter of the law, right? You're right in the quoting of scriptures and, and all the scriptures that you've memorized. And, and you're right, and it is sin. And, and, you know, and you're just calling it what it is. And, and you have to stand up for righteousness. You have to stand up for truth. But your spirit and your attitude is so wrong. And that's the scary thing, isn't it? You know, and religion, what's so sneaky about religion, because it's right, but it's so wrong. Right? Well, well, we're sanctified and, and we're justified and, and we're righteous because we believe in Jesus and, and they're not. And it's so right, but it's so wrong. And such were some of us, if not for the grace of God. And so we, before we go, you know, all kind of, you know, oh, isn't this just some cute message on accusations and accusers? And you know, I thank God that I'm not an accuser. And and I think that if we're all honest, we've all had a rock or two in our hands. And I want us to look at Jesus in this story. I think that Jesus exemplifies for us the, the attitude, the heart, the, the spirit of an advocate. An accuser, you know, even the biblical definition of accuser or accuse means to charge someone with an offense. An advocate, which of course Jesus is and is spoken of in, in 1 John chapter 2, uh, an advocate means an intercessor. It means a consoler. It means a comforter. It means a defender. And I pray that like Jesus, we would be, our church, we would be an advocate for everyone in our city. We see, that in, we see this in the life and in the heart and in the ministry of Jesus. And, and so let's something, establish something very imp important before we go any farther today in our story. First of all, the woman that Jesus goes to bat for is a very bad lady. You know, we get these colorful biblical stories and, you know, we make them, we paint them, you know, kind of however we want. And, and so we paint the scribes and the Pharisees, you know, as the real bad guys, which, you know, I can understand that. And we paint this young lady as the victim, right? She's a victim. But the truth is she's not a victim. She is a vicious homewrecker, right? This lady is not good. This lady is sleeping with somebody else's husband, and she doesn't even care. She's wrecking somebody's house, devastating somebody's children, and she is enjoying it, right? And this is the type of woman that Jesus defends, right? And I might add, this is the type of people living in our cities, right? I wonder sometimes how Jesus would relate to a lost, hurting, and broken, the, the lost, hurting, broken people in our area. But I realize we don't have to wonder. We have the answer clearly in Scripture. And notice the scribes and the Pharisees, right? They bring her before Jesus. You know, and religion is so weird, right? Notice how they say this, right? They, they said, you know, Jesus, 
she, she's caught in adultery. And, and they proudly declared, you know, we caught her in the very act, right? And, and somebody somewhere, right, in this story needs to raise their hands, right? And be like, you know, uh, excuse me, right? And just be like, uh, yes, I, I see that hand. Uh, and, and this is weird, right? I mean, who's got more sexual issues, right? The lady doing the deed or the guys who walk in on her and pull her away. I mean, this is just weird. And, and the whole thing is really just really weird. But, but isn't religion funny like that? That we're so blinded by our own weirdness so blinded by our own sin and that we're accusing others when in, the, in, in our own accusations, we condemn ourselves. And that's what religion is. That's legalism. You know, we caught her in the very act. And, and here's what I wanted to ask, right? You know, to the religious leaders, right? How'd you find her, right? Do you get like a GPS on all of the desperate housewives, right? You get a GPS on all the loose women in the city, but I'll tell you how they knew where she was. They knew the guy, right? In fact, I want to know, where's the dude, right? In this story, where's the dude, right? You know, he's probably got his clothes on. He's got his robe strapped back on, you know, and stepped in with the crews being like, yeah, you know, we got to take care of this lady. But isn't legalism just sadistic? But it's so easy for us to fall prey to. But now notice Jesus, you know, and, and he's just... You know, and, and I got three points, right? Just three points. And notice that Jesus, you know, he's brought quite a, a moral dilemma. And they say to him, what do you say, Jesus? And, and they quote the law accurately. You know, what do you say, Jesus? I notice here he says nothing. Essentially, he gives them the silent treatment which tells me that the spirit of an advocate is slow to speak, slow to speak. You know, you're not just talking off the top of your head, just spewing stuff out there. You know, I don't like that person, and, and how do they dress, and, and can you believe they, and, and I saw them where, and and can I tell you in a multitude of words, you're going to say something dumb, but Jesus, Jesus does not have loose lips. He's silent and he's slow to speak. And, and I pray that God make us slow to speak when we're confronted on a daily basis with moral dilemmas and theological conundrums. And, you know, we live in such a fallen culture and live in such a complex society. Let us be careful that we don't judge or pass judgment quickly, but let us be slow to speak. And, and I pray that as advocates, we are slow to speak and quick to pray. You know, that's what I love about the pastors of this church. You know, we don't have all the answers, but we pray to the one who does. You know, so that you can come to me and you could say, you know, what do I do? And, you know, and I will respond pretty much the same every time. You know, I'm not entirely sure, but let's pray and ask Jesus because I can't fix you, but Jesus, he can. You know, and I feel that. Let's pray for people, right? Let's pray for them. And, and that's the spirit of an advocate. It's the spirit of an intercessor, someone who prays before they say. And, and, I, and I say this, I, I pray, I, I say that we pray more and we say less, right? Not that we say more and pray less, but that we pray more and say less because that's the spirit of an advocate. 
You know, the more and more that I fall in love with Jesus, the more that I realize my opinion doesn't matter, right? Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed that the closer you get to Jesus, you know, you're like, who really even cares about my opinion, right? It doesn't even matter. And, and that's the thing. Advocates are not in love with their own opinions because they're so in love with Jesus. You know, Colossians 4, verse 6, and, and I love this passage of Scripture. It says, let your speech. And so it's, it, it's saying that when we do speak, let your speech be with grace, seasoned with salt. And I've noticed that Christians have a tendency uh, that their speech is salt, <laughs> seasoned with grace, right? Have you ever noticed this, right? The majority of our speech is salt. You know, it's like a huge pile of salt with just a itty bitty dab of grace, right? That is wrong. The scripture calls it sin and you're going to hell because that's what the word says. Unless you put your faith in Jesus, uh, and, you know, he'll, he'll love you. You know, speech full of salt with a dab of grace. But the scripture says, let your speech be grace with a dab of truth, a dab of salt. And, you know, we're going to call sin what it is, right? Sin is sin and wrong is wrong. The scripture makes it clear, but we're to be full of compassion and mercy and grace when we speak to those in our world. And, and, and I mean, by the way, this is such an easier way to live, right? Because you could get out of the judgment seat now and you could just be an average person that's saved by the grace of God. The second thing that we see here, you know, in Jesus and in the, the spirit of an advocate is Jesus is the great leveler, right? Even the physical posture of Jesus preaches the message of grace to us. For Jesus' posture, right, predominantly in this story is down in the dirt. You know, while the, you know, religious and pompous, arrogant leaders of the day, they stand in arrogance with rocks in their hands. I mean, even their posture demonstrates the attitude of an accuser, right? And the, and the, the attitude of an advocate, you know, you know, we don't need more churches that are standing in arrogance with rocks in their hands and rocks in their pockets. We need more churches who are in the dirt, who, who aren't afraid like Jesus to get their hands dirty with people that are broken and hurting and in need of the love of God, right? Notice that Jesus is the great leveler, and this is good news. This is why the gospel is so good, because it puts us all at the same place, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And, and Jesus turned to the arrogant men with, with rocks in their hands who want to execute the transgressor. And Jesus says, watch this, if any one of you are without sin, then you can murder the woman. Right? And, and I got good news for you because there is even hope for accusers, right? There's even hope for this morning or throughout the day today, if you find yourself or you identify as the person who's got, you know, more rocks in their pockets than grace. And, and the Bible says that, 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 that because the words of Jesus, that the words that Jesus spoke, their conscience was awakened. They dropped their rocks and they walked off. 
right? So I'm not giving on people with rocks, and, and I'm not here to throw rocks at people with rocks. And, and we see this Jesus. Jesus was so gracious. And notice what he does. He levels, and you know, oh, how they stand so tall, and they stand so proud. But with the words of Jesus, he levels the playing field. And he says, you know, oh, oh, pastor, oh, reverend, oh, bishop, right? You're the same as this woman. You're no different but for the grace of God, right? This is the kind of people we want to be. This is the kind of church we want to have. This is how we want to be known in our region, that no matter who you are or what you've done or how you look or who you love, even if your message is contrary to ours, are we big enough to say, come on, you're welcome here. This is your family this is your home we love you this is church in the dirt this is the kind of church i want to pastor not the church with rocks the church in the dirt why because we level the playing field for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of god and his grace came to our aid and lastly the spirit of an advocate i'm going to end here in literally seconds the spirit of an advocate, the attitude of an advocate. Notice Jesus is not worried at all about guilt by association. Jesus is not afraid of association. And I mean, Jesus knows there's going to be whispers, right? Look at Jesus. He's, he's helping that, you know, he's helping that harlot. He's helping that prostitute. He's in our modern day, he's helping that porn star. And, you know, and, and can you please just look like, look at Jesus. And, and immediately we think, you know, guilt by association. And, and Jesus prays in John chapter 17 about this very attitude, you know, about this very mentality, this religious attitude that says, I can't associate with them because I might get dirty. And, and friend, can I tell you, if not for the grace of God, the very best of us are filthy. And Jesus says, as, as you sent me into the world, Father, I also send them into the world. And, and verse 15 of that very pa same passage says, Lord, I'm not praying that you take them out, but it's for this reason that you've placed them here. You know, on September 11th, you know, 19 years ago, if, you know, if that doesn't make you feel old, you know, I don't know what will. You know, but most people, you know, they ran from buildings. They ran from the fire. They ran from the screams. But there was a, par a peculiar group of people who ran towards the flames, who ran towards the crumbling buildings, who ran towards the scream and towards the cries. And, and that's gotta be the church. We run towards the messes. We run towards the broken. We run towards the hurting. We don't turn away. We run towards them. We're there to hold them and to love them and defend them and think well of them and speak well of them and believe the best of them. That's the spirit of our Savior. That is the spirit of an advocate, right? What if we had a church that was hundreds and then thousands that then became tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands in this region and all of us were to carry the attitude of an advocate, the, the attitude of compassion and mercy and grace and love towards the hurting and broken and lost people like Jesus is. And then at the end of this story, Jesus tells this sinful woman, he says, I don't come to bring you accusations. He says, now go and sin no more. And I wondered this. You know why he says this? 
because she had just encountered grace and faith that erupted in her heart. And now she could finally live the life she only dreamt of because it's grace that sets people free from sins. Not law, not legalism, not customs, not traditions, not do's and don'ts, but for the grace of God. And that's the good news about Jesus. That's the power of God in his salvations, that we can stop sinning. We can annihilate sinning if we just preach the goodness of God and let people know about the power of Jesus Christ, that we're to go and sin no more. Where are your accusers, 40? Where are your accusers, Buffalo? Not in this church. Not in this church. And I say not in my family. Not in this family. Not with my kids. And not with this pastoral team. And not with these volunteers. And not with these church members. We're not accusers. We are the advocates. We're going to live like Jesus in this region. And you'll see history will record hundreds of thousands of lives that were transformed by the good news about Jesus. And I want to pray this morning as I close. Because each and every one of us are going to find ourselves in one or the other or maybe both categories where we've been accused or we've been the accuser. And I want to pray for us in both of those. So I'm going to ask right now in the chats if you don't got to be specific, but if you'll just maybe throw the hands up emoji guy or just say, that's me. There's something that happens internally when we respond externally. Maybe you've been marginalized. Maybe you've been the victim of some of the racism that's been happening in the world right now. Maybe you've been, you know, shunned or outcast. Maybe you've got things in your past. Whatever it is this morning, I believe Jesus sent me here to tell you the good news that he is not the accuser. He is the advocate, that his blood paid for our sins, and we can be free. Where are your accusers? So if that's you, I'm going to ask with everybody's head bowed and everybody's eyes closed. Jesus, I pray for these people, my brothers, my sisters, your sons and your daughters. Lord, that as we preach about Jesus, let these not just be words. Let it become our reality. Let it become our truth. Father, this morning I pray for every man, woman, and child who's been accused. For every man, woman, and child who's found themselves with pockets of rocks. Lord, we choose this morning to let those things go and step into the grace. Step into the truth of who you are. Step into the attitude, the mentality, the mindset of an advocate. Jesus, we're not afraid to get our hands dirty with the people that you've sent us to. But God, we're asking right now, even as we have this great moment of preparation to open the doors to our church, God, we say we're ready. Send us your people. You can trust us, God. We won't be the accusers. We won't search for rocks. But God, it's instead we will be those who will preach simply about the goodness of our Savior, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name. I'm going to ask you, maybe you've found yourself, maybe you've made your way onto our stream, and maybe you thought that you were here by accident, but I'm here to tell you nothing happens by accident. Maybe you find yourself here and you'd say, I need that. I've been accused. I've been an accuser, and I need this Jesus. I need a 
I need to know this guy. Scripture tells us very clearly. It's very simple to enter a relationship with Jesus. It's not about how good you can be, how well you can do, what you've done right, what you've done wrong. Scripture tells us very clearly that all we have to do is confess with our mouths and believe in our heart that Jesus came, died, was the Son of God, raised again to take our place, that we would be saved. So really quickly, I'm just going to do that right now. I'm going to ask if that's you. Just repeat this simple prayer after me. Say, Jesus, I need a Savior. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you for being my advocate. Thank you for taking my place. I confess with my mouth that you are the Son of God, that you are the Savior of the world, and I receive your sacrifice. Be my Savior and my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, you can't see it right now, but I promise you our whole Light City family is rejoicing. This is the greatest decision that you've ever made. The Bible tells us very clearly that right now, because you've given your life to Jesus, there's celebrations, there's parties happening because you made this decision, the best decision of your life. I just want to say it really quickly. If you were blessed or ministered to by this message and you'd like further prayer right now below in the links in our description box and, and on the, our, our, the page that you're on right now, there's prayer slots that you can sign up for, that you can have 15 minutes of live prayer right now on Zoom. So if you want that prayer, that's happening right now. I trust that you are blessed by today. I hope that these words, that they didn't make you feel bad or guilty, but they empowered us to realize that we can have the spirit of Jesus living on the inside of us. You are an advocate. You have been sent for such a time as this. You have everything you need to succeed in this season of your life. I pray that you are blessed today. And remember, we'll be doing this till the whole world sees Jesus. God bless you guys. We love you.